All right, so we're going to be in Matthew 21 this morning. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and colt, put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes to the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house should be called a house of prayer, but you make it in a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praises? And leaving them, he went out in the city of Bethany and lodged there. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once. And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown out into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came up and to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered, Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold 
what, that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two, the will of his father, they said. The first, Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Here, another parable. There was a master of a house who wanted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season of fruit drew near, he sent the servants to tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent out servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to say, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the hire. Come, let us kill and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with these tenants? They said to them, he will put these wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits and their seasons. Verse 42 now. <laughs> Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders wretched has become the cornerstone? This has the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when he falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard the, his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this chance to uh, to learn your word. And Lord, we just ask that you uh, anoint Jackie and, and help him to get get the, his point across and the teachings across to everyone. And Lord, we just ask that you uh, watch over the Sunday school teachers and the kids and help them to to learn your word and and to take it back home or to school with them, so where they can repeat it and share it and. Lord, we just thank you for all your many blessings. We ask that you be with those who are in need and, and those who are struggling. And, and uh, we just thank you for this day. Amen. Children are dismissed. How many of you guys think I'm going to do all that today? <laughs> oh, there's, there's laughing. 
<laughs> hey, just a, a quick um, aside. We do have uh, some folks here that have a petition in the back uh, for you to consider signing. It is um, uh, to protect children from uh, uh, drag shows and the like in the state of Idaho. So if you're on your way out and you're willing to put your signature down on the line, um, we would appreciate that. We'd like that not to take place in our state. So if you would uh, consider that on your way out or your way in or while you're hanging out, we would appreciate it. As we look at this section of scripture, this chapter, we're going to see um, the presentation of the king. So in the presentation of the king and in this whole chapter is also wrapped up the idea that Psalm 118 verse 22 states. And that is that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, it's, it's interesting, and there's a lot of ways to look at this, and I don't want to get out too far on a rabbit trail because I'm already on the rabbit trail, so <clears throat> we'll, we'll never get done what we're supposed to get done today. But the word for cornerstone in Hebrew, they, there's not a different word that they have for keystone. Do you guys know the difference between a keystone and a cornerstone? So for us, a cornerstone would set the corner of the foundation so that your foundation is square. But every building they have in ancient Israel also, in order to enter that building, you have to walk through an arch. And that arch, the only thing that holds the arch up is the keystone. It's the stone that's not cut right. You know, if you look at the stones, and one of the things Scripture talks about is when the stone was sent to the builders, the stone comes up and the builders look at it and go, what's this? And they throw it off to the side. Like, this is not... This is not the stone we need yet until they come to the point when it's time to set the keystone. And then they go, hey, where's that goofy cut stone? That's the stone that holds everything up. Now, I'm not saying we want to make some kind of hard, fast rule, but you need to understand that, that it can be either of those things. The word is not any different for them. And when you come with us to Israel, you'll see an abundance of keystones. You'll not probably ever see a cornerstone. But you'll see keystones everywhere. And to me, the scripture makes sense. When you talk about rejecting a stone, I wouldn't know. You sent me a square stone. Now, look, I'm not an engineer. Uh, is there any engineers here today? Thank God. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not an engineer. I'm much too smart to be an engineer. <laughs> and since no, there's no engineers here, I feel free to do so. Um, <laughs> uh, and if you didn't raise your hand, I'm sorry already. Um, but the idea is uh, the square stone is not going to, it would look like another square stone to me, but I would understand in the story, if you've seen a keystone, it's cut like a V. It's not square. It looks different than every other stone. But nonetheless, the point is, as Jesus is being presented, the king is coming to the nation officially. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. The presentation of the king. And along with the presentation of the king, they're going to look at the stone and they're going to say, this doesn't fit. And they're going to reject him. They're going to reject that cornerstone. And we know 
just in, it, it will be more, it'll be several weeks for us because tr- we're not going to get there that quick. But it's going to be just a few days for them that we're going to see Jesus on the cross. So we're moving in that direction. First Peter chapter 2, verse 6 says this. It stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief of the corner, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, and they were destined to do so. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. So the backdrop of Palm Sunday, as we call it, is also the reality of the rejection of the cornerstone, the rejection of who Christ is. Scripture would tell us he's the rock of salvation, he is the rock of rejection, and he is the rock of destruction. And we'll see these ideas as we work through this, through this chapter. In Isaiah 28, 16, he says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. He is the rock of our salvation. Isaiah 8, 14 also says, And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. To both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now at the time Isaiah speaks that prophecy, there are two houses of Israel, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. At the time Jesus comes, there's only one. So you see the reference to both houses of Israel and at the end of that chapter, a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, which we'll be reading shortly about. And finally, he is the rock that will put an end to all the kingdoms of men. It says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, considering the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, it says, And in those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all the kingdoms, and bring them to an end and stand forever. Just as you saw a stone cut from a mountain by no human hand, and it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain. The interpretation is sure. He is the rock of our salvation He is the rock that will be rejected. They'll be offended. It doesn't look like they want. And he is the rock that will put an end to all the kingdoms of men. Daniel teaches us all those kingdoms of men, right? They all have a commonality. And that is they move from uh, a, a, a 
place of better, more purity, gold, to a place of no purity, right? Iron mixed with clay. And so we see kingdom shift to kingdom, shift to kingdom, shift to kingdom. There's only one eternal kingdom. Whose is that? That's the kingdom of God. That And Jesus is the king being presented on Palm Sunday. So we read in Matthew 21, verse 1, it says, Now, as they drew near to Jerusalem and they came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, Go to the village in front of you, and there you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. So we see in the story Jesus sending out a couple of his disciples on an errand that they were pretty sure did not matter at all. Right? You ever feel like God sending you out to do something that you didn't think mattered at all? Like, Lord, why I got to do this? I mean, we're coming down. We're about to go into Jerusalem. I got to go get a donkey and, a, and the colt of a donkey. And then, and then it's a little cryptic, right? Because, then I, well, think about it like this. Um, I need you to go pick up uh, a Harley Davidson and a mini bike from a guy in Filer. Don't worry about it. If he says anything as you're taking them, just say the Lord needs them. <laughs> you got to kind of get the story in your head. It's, it's just as weird as that would be. It's, it's a little weird, right? I know, okay, they didn't have Harleys back then, but they had donkeys. And those, and those things mattered. Yeah, they mattered. It made a difference to them. So look what he says. He says, you untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say the Lord needs them. And then look at this phrase, and he will send them at once. Now here's what we recognize and we see as God directs and as God moves his people. As the Lord, the Lord is sovereign and we see his action in a lot of ways, and we don't always know what part of the story we are. You may be the guy at the house that the people come up and they say, hey, the Lord needs your donkey. And if you are, the Lord has already prepared your heart to give your donkey up, to let it go. Because when they come to this, this person, we read in the other gospels, the guy's like, hey, what you doing? And all they say is the Lord has need of them and the guy's like, okay. Because God is moving in a lot of ways. And you and I, we can't always see them all. In fact, most of the time we miss them. Most of the time we miss all the fingerprints of God. You know when our ability to see the hand of God moving in our life, you know when our best opportunity to see it is when you look backwards. And when we do that, it will encourage us in the days when we can't see him moving forward. And we don't want to miss that. There's, there's no part of the word of God that is unimportant and does not lay for us a foundation that we need to hold on to. So there will be weird things, that weird opportunities, phone calls. I get, I get all kind of stuff happens. Things will happen in your life and you'll be like, why is that going on? And I, Lord, I don't really know if I want to do this. And you need to, 
I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm just telling you, you need to be in the word of God every day. You need to be men and women who spend every day in the word of God and in prayer so that you will hear his voice when he directs you. It's too late. If you're not doing that and random things happen, they're all going to always seem random. They're not going to make sense. But if you are pouring the word of God in, meaning you just get up in the morning, you spend time in the word, you spend time in prayer, you ask God to lead you and to guide you through the day, see how much of a difference that makes on your perspective. We're almost done with the one-year Bible. And if you've been faithful through it all, you will have done the whole word of God throughout the year. And I hope you won't stop. I hope you'll recognize that this is a vital part of our ability to be useful parts of the body of Christ. So we're all different parts, Paul would teach, right? There was a lot of disciples that didn't have to go get the donkey. He just sends a couple guys. And the other guys, they had other stuff to do. And more often with us, what happens in ministry is we start looking at what everybody else is doing and we're unsatisfied with fulfilling our part. Paul would write, some of you are going to be visible and some of you won't. Some have more honor, some have less. But it doesn't matter, you all have a part to play in the body. Now, up until recently, I would say, you know, except for maybe your spleen. I don't know if your spleen does anything. But then my buddy Rick has a spleen that's wacko. So now I know what the spleen does. And apparently, you need it. <laughs> some of us are spleens. Some of us are kidneys. Some of us are livers. Some of us are fingers. Some of us are hands. Every part of the body is important. And when every part of the body will accept its place within the body and function together, the body of Christ is healthy and whole and effective. Amen. Now, why this is important is because I often get this question. People will ask me, Jackie, well, how come we don't see the things we saw in the book of Acts in the church today? Well, because most of the time in the church today, we have multiple cancers, right? We have multiple struggles. We have problems. We have people who in their, in, are unhappy in their place with Christ or unhappy being in that particular body of Christ. You have people who are full of pride and full of sickness, and this causes an abscess in the body, and the body becomes ineffective. Not that, now listen, can God still accomplish his purpose? Yes. Can the Lord strike a straight blow with a crooked stick? Every day. But we need to straighten out our stick a little bit. Does that make sense? So, and all of this fits into what Jesus is teaching and showing us here. That he's going to wrap up when we get to the end. We're just going to go to verse 16, so don't panic yet. But, but as we're going there... I want you to think, okay, this stone, Jesus, people didn't like what he, what he was like. The people who were uh, in the religious leadership, 
the people who spent the most time studying and preparing for Messiah, they didn't like the Messiah they got. And I know it's easy for us to point a finger at them and say, what a bunch of knuckleheads. But the reality is for you and I, there's a lot of times we don't like the Messiah we got either. So we can either continue to have a heart of a Pharisee or we can repent, humble ourselves, and be who Christ has created us to be in the body of Christ. And watch what God can do through a people who are surrendered to him. Agendas laid aside. And are just saying, here I am, Lord, use me. What, 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 what shall I be? What shall, what shall I do? Where shall I go? So they bring this donkey. And, and Matthew says in verse 5 of Matthew 21, he says, Thus was fulfilled, spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to your daughter Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. How? Humble. He's the humble king. How do I know he's humble? Because he's riding on a donkey. There are some historians who believe that on the same day that Jesus is having the triumphal entry on the donkey, Pilate is having his triumphal entry preparing for all the Passover and the, and the series of feast days that were coming. And so Pilate would want to make a big show of the people that they'd know who is in power, who's in charge. And so Pilate coming in from the opposite side of the city would come in with the Roman legions and he would come in on a beautiful horse and have all the pomp and circumstance ushering in. And, and of course, the people would hate it, right? Because they, they represent the oppressive government that is over them. But you have this, this dichotomy laid out of, of the one professing to be sovereign over all of the people and the one who really is coming in on a windy road in the back door through the Golden Gate in the east. And he is coming in on a donkey. He is not there, as, as Philippians uh, chapter 2 tells us, to, to tout <coughs> the reality of his deity to demand the things that that same deity demands, the Bible says he emptied himself like the, the Roman centurion. When the Roman centurion came to battle, if you saw, you guys have all seen Roman centurions in the movies, right? It's not hard to recognize. They got that beautiful red cape and a red long tall helmet. And everybody, if you're saying, I want to play a Roman, you want to be that dude, right? I want to look like that guy. But when it came to battle, he took all that stuff off. Every insignia of anything that represented his authority over the army, he took it all off, and he looked just like everybody else. And just so you know, we do the same stuff today. We learned a long time ago, you don't put your general in the middle of the battle with shiny stars on him. <laughs> so that the sniper can go, hey, you know, that dude's the one in charge. See how shiny he is? Shoot that guy. This is not new. And that's a picture of what the Bible calls kenosis. Laying, you take all that off. He's still the centurion. He's still in charge of 100 men. He's still running the battle. 
but he's laid aside the pomp, all the shine, all that stuff. We saw a little bit on the transfiguration, right? And here he comes into the city on a donkey. Now, that's miserable. I just want you to know. There have been multiple kings who have entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. Riding a donkey is miserable. I rode a donkey. There's really no reason to. I don't know why anybody would ride a donkey. (laughs) It is the most miserable creature I have ever seen to ride on. It's miserable. It's horrific. Does anybody have a donkey? Yeah, why? (laughs) Let's try this. Anybody have a horse? Oh, well, there you go. How come you don't trade your horse for a donkey? Yeah, nope. Not doing it. He rides in on a donkey. Here's what Zechariah 9.9 says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble. He's been telling us, unless you come as one of these little children. You remember? And we talked about the idea of little children is not the purity of a little child. We've stated this. Little children are not pure. That's not what he means. Little children had the the lowest station socially. And so he's saying, you got to come like this. It's speaking of the humility that it takes. Unless you come to me as a little child, humble, being humble before our great king, mounted on the colt, a donkey on a colt, the full of a donkey. Genesis 49.10 says this, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, until people have to honor, he's talking about Messiah, Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the king. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Verse 11 says, Binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, He has washed his garments in wine. What's wine look like? And his vesture in the blood of grapes. This was a prophecy spoken by uh, Jacob over Judah, his son, as Jacob was dying. Looking forward to the coming of the king who had come that he would die. For the people. He goes on in Matthew 21 8 says, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Even the disciples, they threw their cloaks upon the on the back of the colt so that Jesus could climb on. And all of this fulfills two things. It's one, a sign of great honor. It's a sign of great honor. In 2 Kings 9, 11 through 13. You see Jehu the king doing a similar thing. He's being proclaimed to be king by one of the prophets. The prophet says, the people say, what did that guy have to say to you? And he said, oh, he just said, thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. And it says in verse 13, in haste, every man of them took off his garment and put it under him on the steps and blew the trumpet and proclaimed Jehu as king. 
When the people laid their cloaks down before that donkey, they were making a proclamation. Behold the king. Messiah is come. That's why it makes all the other people crazy. That's why the Pharisees get so upset. When they take all those branches, it's a sign of joy. In Leviticus 23, we read about the, the, the feast of, of weeks. It says, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered all the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. The first day will be a solemn rest, that's a Sabbath, and the eighth day will be a solemn rest, seven days later, which, by the way, does not have to be Saturday to Saturday. Sabbaths can fall on a holy day any day of the week. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, willows in the brook, and rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. So they would take these branches as a symbol of rejoicing, the joy of the Lord. He's brought us the harvest. He's provided for us. What is he providing for them in Jesus Christ? Many of the people think that he's providing someone to end the oppression of Rome. But what he's providing is someone that will end the oppression of death. That's far greater. Right? Revelation 7 verse 9 says, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and language, standing before the throne and the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. The host of those saved by the Lamb, rejoicing in the Lamb, and the symbol of that rejoicing, they're holding palm branches in their hands. What do we see on Palm Sunday? Same thing, right? Behold the King, He is coming. And it says in verse 9, And the crowds that went before Him and followed Him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're praising him. Hosanna is just a Hebrew word spoken into English. Sometimes translators don't like to translate words. For example, baptize. It comes from baptizo. And they were like, how shall we, how shall we translate this? Well, let's just translate it, baptize was not always helpful. Because then you're going to say, what, what does that mean? You get what I'm saying? We just say, Hosanna. Hosanna. I can tell you, when you read your Bible and you're studying your Bible and you see an odd word that you don't know, oftentimes what it means is the translator's not sure what to do with that. So they just put the Hebrew word in. Now, Hosanna, we love the sound of Hosanna, and Hosanna's not hard to, to define. Hosanna means save now. Now, you need to understand it is a political cry. It's a political cry to God to deliver them from the oppression that they're in. Save us now. This is what we want, God. This is what you need to do. Anybody ever had a plan like that that they delivered to the Lord? Here's what it should look like. Lord, you don't need to take any time worrying about how this works. I've already got a detailed plan on how it should all be laid out, and this is it. Right? For you and I, 
It's easy for us to trust in the power of God. It is much more difficult to trust his purpose. Sometimes we don't like the road he chose for us. We would like this to be removed. We would like it to stop. We would like to get off. Where's the next exit, Lord? But the Lord would challenge us to not only trust his power, but also his purpose. As the people are shouting, Hosanna, they're declaring, save us, save us now, Lord, deliver us from these things that are before us. And they're using messianic titles. The son of David is a messianic title. Every king of Israel was called the son of David at some point, particularly at his coronation. Well, because most of the kings of Israel were from David's family, right? So they would declare him a son of David, which is a loose uh, string, I guess, tied off to a promise God gave David. I'm going to build you a house. And he says, and the house I build you is not ever going to go away. There will be a king on the throne. Well, there is a king on the throne of David today, just so you know. That's not a future event. Jesus Christ is on the throne today. And so the, the King Jesus, that fulfillment, they're looking for that, you know, but they're hoping in all of these little, all of these little, little pseudo-Christs. Pseudo-deliverers. Oh, there's, you know how that word is translated in English? Can you guess? Antichrist. People who we think are going to deliver us, but, well, that's, I thought deliverance was going to look different than that, right? So we have him. We have this hope in these things. They're saying, they're calling him, son of David, it's Messiah, Mashiach. You have come in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a title for deliverer. They're calling him deliverer. They're calling him anointed one, Messiah. They're calling him king. They are all ready to fall prostrate before the God of the universe if he will only do it their way. That's going to be a problem. No? Here's what I know about us doing it our way. We are a mess. And we are often sure that we're right. Anybody ever been sure you were right and were wrong? <laughs> sure, I know what I'm doing. If I would just go this way. However, God has no such limitations. Now, that does not mean God's ways are without pain, suffering, hardship, right? But we're going to trust God in his way. So the people are shouting. We ask ourselves, how could the people be shouting, Hosanna, save now, you're our Messiah, you're our king, and then <clears throat> in a few days crucify him? <laughs> well, it shouldn't be hard for us to understand, should it? All you have to do is not want to do it my way. And then you become the rock of offense. 
the rock of salvation becomes a rock of offense because that's not the kind of salvation I want. I don't want to be saved through this, Lord. I want to be saved from it. So when we look, their call, their cries, Scripture goes on to tell us in Matthew 19, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. So people are praising him for the miracles that he's done. Many blind and lame have been healed, right? Right, and everybody gets excited about miracles that where they where they take our physical limitations. And we've seen miracles a part of our body. We've seen God do incredible things, and everybody gets excited about the miracles. But how come nobody's praising Him for the day He forgave a man's sin in a room? Because that's what everybody on earth needed. But we get excited about His legs are working again. Well, that's great, but if he's not forgiven of his sin, he goes to hell with good legs. They praised him for his miracles. They praised him for the reference of being Messiah. They're quoting to him Psalm 118. Psalm 118 says, Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. Who's he talking about? They all think he's talking about the, the temple, the place. They're talking about Jesus. He said, I am the door. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. <clears throat> he's the gate of righteousness. How do we become righteous? We don't become righteous before we get to the gate. We become righteous because we come through Christ. And so he says here in the 118th Psalm, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation, the stone that the builders rejected. There's your story. Stone that the builders rejected, that's the chief of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. The whole idea of Psalm 118 is, this is not a stone that looks like every other stone, but it is the stone that holds everything else together. And so when he entered into Jerusalem in verse 10 of Matthew 21, the whole city was stirred up and said, who's this? <coughs> and so the scripture goes on. Who, who is this? In, in verse 11, oh, this is the prophet. Everybody wants to freak out about that. Oh, they didn't know Jesus was. No, the prophet's the title of Messiah. You knew that, right? In Deuteronomy Chapter 18, verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses is speaking, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desire to the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, we can't hear the voice of the Lord again <clears throat> uh, or see this great fire anymore lest we die. So the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet. I'm too scary for them, God says. God the Father is saying, I'm too scary for them, so I'm going to raise up for them a prophet. Like you, Moses, from among your brethren, he's going to be Jewish, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak them, everything that I command. Listen, and whoever will not listen to my words that he speaks, I will require it of him. 
In other words, the words coming out of this prophet's mouth are the words of life. They're the words that will bring. This prophet won't be like normal prophets. Normal prophets say, thus saith the Lord. This prophet will just say. He doesn't have to say, thus saith the Lord, because he is the Lord. He is the Lord speaking before the people. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Blessed is the, the outpouring of this, the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple. So if you know anything about Jerusalem, you come in Jerusalem through the southern section. You know, you guys are in so much trouble today. Look at that clock. The last thing you want to give a preacher is a clock that don't work. I almost was going to go by that clock. Yeah, you'd all have been in a lot of trouble. That clock says it's 10 o'clock or noon, one of those. Both of them are wrong. So anyway, sorry, I digress. So Jesus enters into the temple. So if you know anything about Jerusalem, you come in <clears throat> through the, there's, there's two ways to come up to the temple. Only one way today. Well, they've, they've made some extra ways. But at the time of Christ, you either came in through the southern steps or you came in through the golden gate, the eastern gate. So Jesus is going to come down the Mount of Olives. He's going to enter into the eastern gate, which, by the way, is the same way that the Holy Spirit left the temple. And the Holy Spirit, just so you know, has not been back until this day. Because the Holy Spirit, the Holy One, is coming back to the temple. When the Spirit left the temple at the exile, there's no scripture that says, oh, and the Spirit entered and the smoke of the Lord drove the priests away. No, they just built a new temple and mourned. They mourned because there's something absent from the temple. And there is a prophecy that says there will be a day. And the day when that which is holy enters back into the temple... He's going to come in and he's going to be filled with the zeal of the Lord. And he's going to set things right. He's going to call it his house. He's going to call it his father's house. And then he will call it your house. Why? Because as the king is coming in, he is also being rejected. He comes into the temple, it says in verse 12, he entered the temple, drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. Now, please don't misunderstand. This has nothing to do with a bookstore. This has nothing to do with buying and selling. This was people making merchandise of worship. So if you think, of, if you want to put it in a proper context, it'd be like you walking in the door and I charge you entrance. But before I charge you entrance, you have to change your money into the money I accept, which is the official of Jackie Roberts dollar. Uh, and the Jackie Roberts dollar is worth way more than the dollar in the United States. So it's going to cost you 20 U.S. dollars to get one Jackie dollar. And with that Jackie dollar, you got to buy a special prayer cloak and you got to buy a special book so you can come in. And then when you bought all that stuff, you can finally come in to worship but the problem is as you come to worship it's going to be a hassle because I'm changing money constantly for the rest of the people who are trying to come in it's not about selling books or buying things it's about making merchandise of worship 
And so it says, he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. The other gospels will say, my father's house. How come he doesn't make a distinction? Well, because he will say, I and the father are my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. In Isaiah 56, 7, it says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings or sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer. Isaiah 56, 7. The Lord saying, this is my house. And this is going to be a house where people can talk to me. This will be a place where people can worship. So he cleanses the temple. He comes in and he cleanses the temple. And then the blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. Because the Bible tells Jesus was filled with compassion. The suffering of of the people that, that God sees and loves and cares for is not lost on the Lord. The Bible says over and over and over again, he's compassionate. So he heals them. And the blind can see and the lame can walk. But if they don't have their sins forgiven, they're walking to hell. It's not about how easy can God make my life. It's really about how holy can God make my life. Our surrender before our great God and Savior And so Isaiah 35 would tell us, say to those who have an anxious heart, anybody got an anxious heart? Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Your your God will come to you with vengeance and with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Here's how you will know him. The eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And you will know him. But when the chief priests and the scribes, they saw all these things. And they heard the children running around and making a racket, crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what they're saying? So Jesus said, have you never read Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have perfected praise. Now, a lot of times when we think about that scripture, we think about, you know, babies and little children singing, Jesus loves you. But if you go back to the text in Psalm 8-2, Psalm 8-2, particularly if we do it uh, in in the ESV, um, I guess I explain it to you, but I probably won't. But if we go to Psalm 8-2, he says, Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And we go, oh, that doesn't sound like out of the mouth of babes you have perfected praise. It, it is. It is. Out of the mouth of babes you have perfected praise comes out of the Septuagint, which is the Hebrew translation of what we're, what we're looking at here in the Masoretic text of Psalm 8.2. But, 
but you need to understand the picture. The picture is in the sight of all your enemies coming against you and all the people that would like to see your destruction, the sound of your children playing and laughing and crying is the sound of God's blessing over you and around you and through you. Because when you hear the sound of your children, you should know that your God's strength is with you and he will deliver you from your enemies. So the picture of praise being perfected in children is just children being children and their being children around us and through us and around when, when the children are in church and they make noise and you're thinking, oh, those little darlings. When those children are in church making noise, the Lord would say, oh, that is a sign of my hand is on you. Because if you look around and there are no children, we're missing the boat. You get that, right? Because the children are the hope of the future. And so the Lord is saying to them, they're saying, look at all, don't you see these children are running around and they're causing a ruckus here in the temple and they're all calling you son of David. They're asking you to save them now. And Jesus says, the sound of those children is a sign of God's pleasure on this place right now. There will be a day, 30 some years later, where there will be not the sound of one child in the entire city. There will be not one stone left upon another. The entire place will be burning to the ground. He is saying this is the perfection of praise because the little ones, they are here and the things that they are saying are true. In Luke 19, the last scripture we're going to look at, Luke 19, verse 41, it says, Now when he drew near the city, he wept over it. This is Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, the same thing we just read, coming down the Mount of Olives. <clears throat> when he saw the city, he wept over it and he said, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for your peace. That's not saying, Jesus is not saying, oh, I wish you'd have known I was coming, I wouldn't have to be crucified. I don't know what he's talking about. There's nothing you can do to stop the crucifixion. That's the only way the world gets saved. But if you had known the one who will take your sin away is here, you would trust in him and believe in him. And when those days come, when your enemies build an embankment around you and this whole place burns down, even though you may lose everything that you have, you would have everything you need because I, the one that will give you everything you need. They could lose it all in that place. 70 AD, it's all going to come down. Within, within 30 years of the crucifixion, we'll see it all come down. Verse 43, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they'll tear down the ground, you and your children within you. You're all going to die. And if you only knew the things that make for your peace... For he himself, Jesus Christ, has become our peace. He is the peace offering. He is the one that creates peace between, in the animosity between us and God. 
so that we can approach God, so that Psalm 24 and 25 is true. And the day that we leave this earth, Jesus clothes us in his righteousness and introduces us to the Father covered in his blood, clothed in his righteousness. For he who knew no sin became my sin sacrifice that I might become the righteousness of God. If you knew the things that make for your peace is not a cry for the people to receive him as king that day. He's come to die. That's not ever going to change. There's only one way we stand before the Father, not because of some works or not because we, we get it all. We only can stand before the, the Father by the blood of Jesus Christ, which he poured out for us at Golgotha. So he is saying to them, the days are coming, you're not going to hear the children at all. There'll be no sound of children because the nation of Israel will cease to exist. Right? He, our Lord God and King, is telling them, look, this sound is music to my ears. Sound of the babies crying, the children laughing, singing their songs and playing their games. Because it's the sound of life. And he's the God of life. And he, the God of life, is about to die. So that you and I who are dead in our trespasses and sin can be made alive through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Why don't you guys stand with me and let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for the truth of your word that we see in scripture. And there's so much more to the story. And I know we want to be able to unpack it all. But God, I just hope that we can see that there's <clears throat> so many times we think, Jesus is in the, the garden of Gatshmone. He's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's asking not to have to die. And that's not what he's asking. He's, he's there recognizing he's come to die. That's why he's come. He's come so that we might have life. He's come so that we could turn from our sins and live eternally in him. And even though in, a, in, a, in three decades after Jesus is gone, that there's not going to be the sound of one child in the whole place if they had known the things that make for their peace. Do you know what makes for your peace? I know we all want to live well. That's okay. But do you know what makes for your peace? It's not how much money you have, how good your job is, how healthy you are. The things that make for your peace is, do you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? You know him. Not do you know who he is. Do you know things about him? Do you know him? Have you put your hand in his hand? Have you bowed the knee before Almighty God and beat your breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner? Do you know God? Because he made him our peace. Jesus will stand before the people. Here we are thousands of years later arguing about the Sabbath when Jesus, if he was here, would stand before you and say, I'm your Sabbath. 
Where do we find rest? Come unto me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm your Sabbath. Have you entered into your Sabbath rest? Where you've ceased from your works, the things that you'll do to try to save yourself? And rather trust Jesus Christ. He's my rest. He's my peace. He's everything I need. I don't need perfect health. I'd like it, but I don't need it. I don't need riches. I'd like it, but I don't need it. But I need Jesus Christ. I need him. The psalmist would say, like the deer panteth for the water, so my heart longs for you. Do you know Jesus? He's your peace. As we close out this morning, I just pray we're going to have elders and people around the sanctuary to pray with you. We're going to keep things just worshipful in here. And I just pray you don't have that. You come to anybody standing around up front and you say, I need to know Jesus. I need to know his peace. I need to know his love. I need to know his forgiveness. I need to know all of these things because it's him who will make us alive. And then you with all the saints will be able to proclaim the most, arguably the most beautiful thing I think that, that scripture can lay out for us. The beauty of the promise of what God has given us in exchange for all our garbage. I can say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who has loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not nullify the grace of God, for righteousness cannot come through the law. Otherwise, Christ would not have died. So, Lord, we just ask your spirit to be with us, moving among us. Help us be who you're calling us to be, that we might be able to glorify and honor you. And we will give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.